Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and I'm so excited to share with you today a brand new journey, a new study on the spiritual gifts. I don't know if I have ever been more excited than I am to share this study on the giftings with God's people. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12 that he does not want us to be uninformed concerning spiritual gifts. And that's our goal throughout this series. We want to teach God's people how the Holy Spirit has put incredible and many giftings within each and every Christian. My premise for today's sermon is that if the grace of God has brought salvation to every believer, then it's that same grace that also brings the giftings. Therefore, Christians cannot say, I just don't have any giftings. And so often in today's church culture, especially the way the culture of our churches are with worship leaders and, you know, big-name pastors and uh, great skilled teachers, it's easy for people to look at, at, at the church today and go, well, I don't have any talent like that. And they look at natural talent. But my friends, today I'm going to take the Word of God And I'm going to attempt to show you how spiritual giftings are not natural talents. These are giftings given by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God. And guess what? They're not for you. They are to serve the needs of others. This is going to be a great journey, and I hope you'll be with me through each and every sermon of this series. So let's take God's Word today, and let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Today we'll study verses 1, 2, and 3 on this broadcast of Awaken to Grace. Well, today we're going to begin a brand new series on spiritual gifts. I am as excited as I can possibly be to share with you the Word of God concerning spiritual gifts, because if you're like me, you're going to be surprised, you're going to be shocked at how much Scripture has to say concerning the gifts. Now, if you are someone like me, when I hear a preacher preach, I'll be very honest, I'm not interested in the fluff, I'm not interested in the jokes or the illustrations or the personal stories. I want to get straight to the meat. If you're like me, even when I go to a physical buffet, if they offer steak on the buffet, I'm not interested in their salad bar. I'm not interested in their bread. I don't care about their veggies. I want the meat. Anybody else like me? Uh, You can keep your fillers. I'm here for the steak. Some of you are like that. You're here today for the steak, right? So when I say spiritual gifts, some of you, like me, you want to jump straight into gifts. You want to know what does prophecy mean and what is the gift of discernment and what's the gift of mercy, what's the gift of intercession, what is the gift of faith. If all of us have faith who are born again, then What's the gift of faith? What's the gift of healing and the gift of miracles? And what's the gifts of administration and the gifts of serving and helps? There are multitudes of gifts. 
And if you're like me, you want to skip down into chapter 12 and you want to go straight for the steak. (laughs) You want to go straight for the prime rib. You want to know what the meat of that is. But ah, let's slow down. Way before we get there, today by way of foundation, I'm still going to give you some meat. Don't worry about that. But we're not going to get to the gifts today. What we're going to talk about today are only the first three verses, but how foundational that they are. You know, I would not doubt that in a room this size and with the audience listening online, I would no doubt would there be that there are some Christians today who really genuinely believe that there are no giftings within them. There are some Christians who would say, well, God has gifted this person this way, and I can see gifts in this person, and this person has it all together, and this person's incredibly talented, but when it comes to me, I don't think there's anything in me. I'm going to show you, precious believer, I'm going to show you today why biblically you're wrong. I'm going to prove with the Bible today why each and every one of you who are born again has spiritual gifts within you, every one of you. And today, if you're someone that maybe you've never been all that talented, maybe you can't come up with one single natural talent that you have. And because of that, you say, well, because I don't have any natural talents, then I certainly don't have any spiritual gifts. Friend, you are as wrong as wrong can be. And I'm going to show you today, I'm going to give you, God willing, by God's grace, I'm going to give you the biblical confidence that there's not just one or two or three. There are many wonderful and glorious gifts inside you at this very moment. So let's begin. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, only three verses for today. Today we're going to talk about the grace of the spiritual gifts. Notice verse 1. Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I would not have you be ignorant or uninformed, depending on what version you're using. Ignorant or uninformed. Paul says when it comes to the spiritual gifts, they are so important. They are so vital to our daily Christian walk. They're so important to the call of God on our lives. They're so important to the purpose that, uh, uh, with which God has saved us that Paul says the one thing that I don't want to see happen, I don't want you to be ignorant and I don't want you to be uninformed when it comes to spiritual gifts. If you're going to take notes today, I'm going to have many things for you to note. And I want you to note this first of all. When it comes to the gifts, what are spiritual gifts? Well, note this number one. The word gifts in the original language of the New Testament, in the Greek language, the one that gives us the clearest meaning. The word gifts literally means charisma. It means charisma. The root word of charisma is charis. You just drop the M-A off of the end. The word charis in Greek literally means grace. And grace is the root meaning of what the gifts are. 
When Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthians, you know, the Corinthian congregation was very difficult. I mean, they were full of pride. They were full of arrogance. They were full of sexual immorality. The Corinthian church was a handful. But the one thing they did have going for them is that they, they were zealous over spiritual gifts. They desired them greatly, but not for the right motive. They desired them in a prideful and an arrogant way. Well, Paul is going to write to them concerning spiritual charisma, spiritual charis, grace, and notice, if you will, go quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And when Paul begins to pen this letter, you know, there's going to be 11 really strong chapters of rebuke and correction. And man, Paul's really going to get with the Corinthian church. And Paul's going to say hard and instructional things to them. But when we get to chapter 1, verse 4, I want you to link the grace of God with the gifts of God. And notice what he says in verse 4. Chapter 1, he says, and I thank God in all of my remembrance of you, for what purpose does he say? Because you're so special within yourself? Because you're just the greatest group of people that I've ever met? Because you have all your act together and you're just absolutely perfect? Come on now, right? You know, it was Charles Spurgeon who said... Don't, don't ever look for the perfect church because if you find it, Spurgeon said, you better not join it. You'll mess it up. <laughs> did, did, he, did he thank God for them? Did he love them? Did he pastor them because they were perfect people? No, no. Why? Because of the grace of God upon you. Amen. You know, that will help you with Christians you don't get along with. That'll help you with people that your personalities but heads. You do that with anybody? Some of you are going, I'm married to it. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> we'll do marriage counseling later. But you understand what I'm saying, right? Not all personalities get along. Not all personality types mesh. And sometimes you don't always get along. And hey, fact is, people let you down, don't they? Any ever, anyone ever been in a church where there was... Moral failure? Anyone ever been in a church where the pastor fell? Deacons and elders blew it? Yeah, those things happen. And Paul tells this church, I don't thank God for you. I don't love you because you're perfect. He says, I do it because the grace of God is on you. Charis, grace. Now, if you skip down to verse 7, notice what he says. The reason why he's writing the letter, the reason why he's reaching out to these believers is because he doesn't want them to lack in any, what? Gifts, charisma. I want you to link not lacking in any charisma to verse number four, the grace of God on you, the charis. There is a root in both of those words. And here is my point. Now go back to chapter 12, verse number 1. Here's my point. This is my entire premise today. Some of you, you feel as though you're left out. You feel as though there's talented people everywhere. My goodness, 
you look at, at our congregation here, and there are so many talented people in every which way. There's talent everywhere. And to be so easy for some of us to look around and say, I see talent there and I see talent here and I see talent there and talent here. But where do I fit in? Because I'm not naturally talented. I don't have anything to bring to the table. No, my friend, here's my point today. And this is the premise today. If charis, grace, is the root to charisma, to the gifts, if it is the grace of God that brings the giftings of God, then let me ask you a question, Christian. How were you saved? Anybody know how you're saved? By grace, through faith, that not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. So my argument today from the word of God to you is this. If the grace of God brought the salvation of God, then does the grace of God not also bring the spiritual gifts of God? Then does that mean that even though you may not be naturally talented, could that mean that the grace of God has put inside of you spiritual, not natural, spiritual gifts? Could it be that there is more inside of you put there by the Holy Spirit himself that because you're only looking at the natural, you're missing the spiritual? And you may look around the church and see all of this natural talent, but I'm encouraging today, don't look with the natural eyes. Begin to look with the spiritual eyes of Scripture, and you'll see things in others, and you'll see things in yourself that you never dreamed were there. Because it's like salvation. It's not of yourself, lest any man should boast. It's of the Spirit of God. That Christ may be glorified in you. Some of you have such gifts like discernment. Some of you have such gifts like prophecy. Some of you have such gifts like mercy. Some of you have gifts of exhortation. Some of you have gifts of hospitality. Some of you have gifts of teaching. Some of you have extraordinary and remarkable gifts that you've never tapped into because you're only looking in the natural. You're not looking in the spiritual. And Paul sets the tone right here when he says, now concerning, not natural giftings, but what kind? Spiritual. Do you see the difference? Three quick things about spiritual gifts that are on the negative side. And let me... Let me get these out of the way. If we are not careful, if you're going to take notes, note this. Number one, you and I can be ignorant. We can be uninformed of spiritual gifts. Is that not what he says in verse number one? Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I would not have you be uninformed. I want you to know this. This is a knowledge that I desire for you to have. But do you know it's possible to be ignorant of your gifts? It's possible to read your Bible. It's possible to do daily devotions. It's possible to plug into church. It's possible to enjoy worship music. It's possible to have a strong prayer life and still be ignorant of the gifts that God has placed inside you. Is that not a shocking thought to you? 
It astounds me to think that. Number two, not only can we be ignorant of our gift or uninformed of our gift, and by the way, don't let me miss this, that word ignorant there or uninformed, that's the, the Greek word for that is actually where we do get our English word ignorant, and it's where we get our English word agnostic. It simply means to not know, to be uninformed, to not know. And Paul says, don't fall into this trap. Don't be uninformed of what your gifts are or what these spiritual gifts are. Now, number two, not only can you be uninformed of your gift, but number two, you can be negligent of your gift. You can neglect it. Isn't that what Paul told young Timothy? He said, don't neglect the gift of God that's within you. Oh, what a tragedy this is in the church today. What, it, it, it's one tragedy to not know the gifts that God has within you. But then it's another tragedy to know those gifts yet neglect them. Never activate them. Never walk in them. Never use them by faith. Let me tell you, those of you who have a gift of intercession, we need you on the prayer team. We need you interceding on behalf of others. Those of you who have the gifts of hospitality and the gifts of teaching, we need you to be small group leaders. Those of you who have the gift of mercy, we need you in benevolence and we need you in missions outreach and we need you in helping the poor and the needy. Those of you with the gifts of discernment, we need you ministering to people. We need you counseling people. We need you praying over people. Those of you who have the gifts of helps and the gifts of service, <laughs> you signed the dotted line anywhere. We need you everywhere. <laughs> but what a sad thing to know the gifts, to understand what your gift is, but yet neglect it. That, that's possible to do. You can ignore them. You can neglect them. Number three, you can be self-centered with them. Again, this Corinthian church, they had a lot of trouble. They had a lot of problems because they were arrogant, self-centered people. The great commentator, Warren Wiersbe, said it so well. He said, the watch out with the gifts is if we're not careful, if we're not spiritually mature in our giftings. He said, here's the watch out. Giftings become toys that people play with. The gifts were never meant to be toys that people play with. And then, you know what they become? They become weapons that people fight with. You ever been in a church that had fights within it? That's a rough spot right there. You ever been among leadership that all they did was fight and quarrel? You know why? Because the gifts become weapons that people fight with. No, 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 no. Do you know what is intended? Not toys to play with, not weapons to fight with. The gifts are intended to be tools that we build the kingdom of God with. Do you see your giftings that way? Do you see your gifting as a tool to serve others? 
Because if the grace of God has so brought us salvation, not of ourselves, lest any man should boast, then if that same grace has then brought the spiritual gifts to us, not of ourselves, lest any man should boast, then what our thinking must be is that my giftings are not meant to serve me. My giftings are meant to serve others. My giftings are meant to build the kingdom of God. My giftings are meant to advance the gospel. My giftings are meant to serve the needs of the people around me. You know, when I began down this journey of studying the gifts, one of the questions that, I'll just be honest, I really didn't have the answer to, but I wondered, I thought, why are there so many different gifts? At first I thought, well, maybe it's because there are so many different personalities. Maybe there are so many different types of people. I mean, there's not different types of Christians. You, you, I mean, you realize that God doesn't label us as Baptist and United Methodist and Presbyterian and Lutheran and non-denominational. You know there's not different types like that, right? I mean, if you're saved, you're, 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 you're a Christian. Amen. You're not in a group. You know, God doesn't categorize us, right? We don't have tags on us that go, oh, what's, oh that's what I am. No, you're, just, you're born again. So I didn't understand then when it comes to the giftings then, why are there so many different various giftings if it's the same grace? And what I've come to learn in my studying of this, it's not because there are so many different personalities. Personality don't have anything to do with it. It's because there are so many different needs. And our giftings are given to us, 1 Peter 4.10, 1 Peter 4.11. Our giftings are given to us to serve the needs of others, Romans chapter 12. We are to serve others with our giftings. I was talking to my great friend, and he's been such a mentor to me. He's my father in the faith, Terry Whitson. I was talking to him this week about the giftings, and he told me a wonderful illustration of, of how to view the gifts and how they're all used in different functions. He, he told me, he said, Chad, picture someone uh, serving a platter of food and they trip and they spill that platter of food. He said, well, you would then see many giftings take, you know, they would jump into the action. He said, he said, number one, you would see the gift of helps. And what would the person who has the gift of helps, how would they respond to somebody spilling an entire platter of food? Would they start cleaning up, wouldn't they? They would start putting everything back and wiping down and serving and cleaning up. He said, what would the person with the gift of mercy do? The gift of mercy would be patting the, the person on the back saying, listen, that happens to all of us. We've all spilt things, right? Don't you worry about it. You get right back up there. It's fine. Whereas the person with the gift of, of uh, uh, you know, prophecy would probably say, I saw that coming. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. And then, you know, you had the person with the gift of teaching. They would be the one saying, come here, let me show you something. We're going to try this again, but this time we're going to do it this way and we're going to do it better. <laughs> you see, there's so many needs around us. And that's why there are so many different gifts. People respond in different ways because they're filled with different giftings. Now, 
We can be uninformed in our gift. That's verse 1. We can neglect our gift. If you know your gift and you refuse to use it or grow in it. You can not only be uninformed. You can not only neglect. You can, uh uh-oh, what's my third one there? You can, uh, self-centered, thank you. You can be self-centered in your gift. What is the purpose that God gave gifts into you? Is so that you can serve the needs of others, so that you can glorify God, so that you can help build the kingdom of God. Now, let me share with you this. I don't want you to miss this principle. Because we're talking about spiritual gifts, in other words, spiritual graces. Not one person who's born again this morning can say, I don't have any gifts. Every one of you do, if you've received the grace of God. Now, just like not one Christian is without any gifts, so it's also true, not one Christian possesses every gift. Why? Because we're a body. Paul's going to go on and explain that in chapter 12, as well as Romans 12. But we are a body. Uh, the, the entire body is not a hand. The entire body is not a leg. And so it is with the spiritual gifts. There isn't one of you who possesses every single spiritual gift that there is. So let's don't get prideful in this. But let's don't have an opposite pride. And... and uh, you know, uh, do, 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 do you know what a, almost a reverse pride is? It's false humility. You know what false humility is? It's someone who would be like, well, oh, shucks. I'm not gifted. and God hadn't put anything in me. No, no, no. That's not true. That's a, that's a false pride. That's a, that's a false humility. It's a false humility. Except that the same grace that brought you salvation is the same rich grace of God that brought you the giftings. Now, verse number two, Paul is going to build on his logic. If we're talking about spiritual gifts, now notice verse number two. He says, remember how you, when you were pagans, were, care, were led astray to mute idols. However you were led. I love that word, remember. Do you know what Paul is doing in verse number 2? Paul is stirring up their remembrance of lostness. He's reminding them of when they were pagans. When they were in their lost condition. What was the first song the worship team began with today? That wonderful song, I Got Saved. I love that song. It says that he got a hold of my life. Jesus got a hold of me. He made me right before God. Do you ever think about who you were before Jesus? Do you ever think about who you were when you were a pagan? When you were lost without Jesus Christ? When you didn't have the love of God stirring in your heart? You didn't know the things of God in your mind? Can you go back to who you were prior to Jesus and the terrible and the awful decisions that you made then that you would never make today because Jesus has made that big of a difference in you? I think what Paul is saying is it's good to go back sometime and remember who you were before Jesus. 
I'm telling you, for me, I never want to forget. I never want to lose the wonder of my salvation. Peter writes, and he says in 1 Peter that salvation is so great. He writes now concerning this salvation. It's so great. He writes, it's things into which angels long to look. Do you know angels are fascinated by your salvation today? Angels are intrigued as to how God would have ever redeemed you and saved you and brought grace to you. Are you as fascinated as the angels are? Are you as intrigued as the angels are? Do you look into your salvation the way they do? Do you see what I'm saying? Who were you before Jesus? What happened when you met Jesus? Who have you been since Jesus? And what Paul is doing. Now remember, he's talking about spiritual matters. He's talking about spiritual gifts. And what he says is, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed of this huge and this vital topic. And here's what I want you to do. Remember who you were when you were pagans. Remember who you were before Jesus changed you. How you were led astray by mute idols. Now, I love this. I love the way Paul words this. Mute. I think what he, what he means by mute is literally it means unhelpful. Without benefit. In other words, it means that these idols had absolutely no ability to help you. And then he uses the word idols here. Now, in our culture, if you're like me growing up, especially in this region, if you're like me, when I think of idol worship, I literally think of a carven statue that people bow down and worship. Right? A pastor's wife from India came to the United States a few years ago. And of course there, there are many statues. There are many graven images. There are many idol worship going on. I had an opportunity some years ago to go to Southeast Asia, and as I traveled through the Orient there, every shop you went into, every shop had a statue of Buddha with fresh fruit and incense burning before him. Every shop. I went to the Kaldai Temple on the Cambodian and the Vietnamese border, and in this temple, they had the largest statue I'd ever seen. Probably, you could probably Google it. I, I, it probably was 40, 50 feet tall. And in this Kaldai temple, I'm talking not 15 people or 25 people or even 50 people. I'm talking hundreds of people. Hundreds of Vietnamese were bowing down, worshiping this great, large image. And it broke my heart. But you know what this pastor's wife from India said? She came to America and she said, there are far more idols in America than there are in India. Why would she say that? Because you know what the real definition of an idol is? Well, let's just break this down. An idol is a fake and a pretend God. Okay, let's break it down a step further. An idol is anything in your life that you put in the place of God. Your job security, 
your retirement, your children, your spouse, that dream home you're aiming for, whatever. Whatever it is that you put on the throne of your heart and you put in the place of God, that is an idol. And you may not bow down to it, but let me tell you, my friend, if you give all your energy to it, and you give all your financial resources to it, and your happiness hinges upon it, and your joy is all wrapped up in it, guess what you have, my friend? You have an idol. And Paul is going to get this junk out of the way. So what is an idol? It's a fake. It's a pretend God. It's something that you put in the place of God. It's something that your happiness hinges on. But let's take it one step further. An idol is anything in our life that says, come to me and I will give you rest. Only Jesus can say that. Only Jesus can fulfill that. And if there is anything in your life that you try to find rest or joy or satisfaction in other than Jesus, my friend, it's an idol. So Paul says, do you remember what it was like when you were led astray by unhelpful unbeneficial idols? Do you remember what it was like when you put things in the place of Jesus because you didn't have the knowledge? And then he goes, however you were led, <laughs> whatever it was, insert the blank, what, whatever it was that led you away, however you were led away, whatever it was wrong. Now, watch what he's going to say in verse 3, and this is wonderful. Therefore, here's the conclusion. Paul's going to wrap up his thought right here with verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand. Now, link the word understand in verse 3 with the word uninformed in verse 1. Do you see how Paul's just going to thread this through for us? He's going to thread the needle here. He's going to say, I want you what you don't understand in verse 1, what you're uninformed in in verse 1, what you're agnostic to, what you're ignorant in in verse number 1. Now I want you to understand in verse number 3. Do you see where Paul's going? And he says, therefore, I want you to understand. No one speaking by the Spirit of God will say Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, where's Paul going here? I thought we're talking about gifts. Oh, we are. But don't miss this. If verse number one is about the grace of God in the spiritual gifts, and if verse number two is about our salvation and that we're no longer pagans, we're no longer unbelievers, we no longer follow fake and pretend and mute idols, then verse number three is about the lordship of Jesus Christ in each of our lives. And this is the argument that I believe Paul is making. I think what Paul is saying is don't be ignorant. Don't be uninformed about spiritual giftings. But here's the thing. If Jesus is not Lord, 
in your life, then how will you ever activate spiritual gifts? How will you ever live a spiritual life if you're still pursuing idols? How will you be a spiritual man, a spiritual woman, a spiritual student if you are pursuing the idols of life and Jesus is not Lord over you? Does that make sense to you? So before we can get to the wonderful gifts, we got to get this foundation first that my life solely belongs to Jesus and I don't pursue any other idol. I don't go to any other thing to try to find rest for my soul. I don't try to put any fake or pretend God on the throne of my heart. Jesus and Jesus alone is there. So what does it mean? What does he mean? No one can speak who's of the Spirit of God. No one can speak that Jesus is a curse. What's he saying? I think the essence of what he's saying is no one, if you have the Spirit of God truly inside you, you're not going to oppose the Lordship of Jesus. Since I've been a pastor now for many years, I've had a handful of conversations with people that just, just stunned me. I've had a handful of people literally tell me, I have no problem with God My problem is with Jesus Christ. Then according to this verse, they do not have the Spirit of God in them. Because no one, speaking of the Spirit, is going to say Jesus is accursed. In other words, no one is going to oppose the Lordship of Jesus. But vice versa, no one in... Likewise, is not going to say Jesus is Lord except he speak by the Holy Spirit. Do you see the difference? The phrase Jesus is Lord is the oldest and most beautiful anthem of the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. So I want to ask you today, is Jesus Lord over every area of your life? Is Jesus Lord over your marriage? Is Jesus Lord over your singleness? Is Jesus Lord in your parenting? Is Jesus Lord in your financial dealings? Is Jesus Lord in your employment? Is Jesus Lord over your decisions? Is Jesus Lord over your affections and the matters of the heart? Is Jesus Lord over all of you? Because, friends, before you can begin walking in the empowerment of the enabled gifts of the Holy Spirit, Jesus must be Lord. Because the giftings is not your abilities. They are not your natural talents. They are not your interests or your hobbies. They are not things that you have a knack for. Spiritual gifts are solely designed and solely deposited by the Holy Spirit himself. But only the people who Jesus is Lord. Are you in that group? Have you made Jesus Lord over your life? If not, you need to do that today. 
You need to say, God, I come to you a pagan, an unbeliever, someone undone without Jesus. I've made awful decisions in life. There are terrible sins in my past. But Jesus, I come to you because I don't want any idols in my life. You, Jesus, are the one who says, come to me and I will give you rest. So Jesus, I come to you today. All of me. All my mistakes. All of my failures. All of my wrongs. All of my sins. And I make you Lord of my life. And you know what will happen? The Holy Spirit will save you. You'll become born again. And He'll put within you precious and wonderful and various and diverse gifts. So that your life will be used to the glory of God. But first, Jesus must be Lord. There must be no idols in your life. Let's bow our heads today. Those of you watching online or listening online, you pray with me as well, please. Is Jesus Lord to you or is Jesus a religion to you? Jesus must be Lord. See, you and I are living in a day of spirituality. Oh, there's all kinds of people spiritual. And see, many people today would say, well, I'm, I'm okay because I'm spiritual. I don't need church. I don't need organized religion. I don't need Jesus. I don't need that salvation stuff. I'm spiritual all on my own. Friends, the Word of God disagrees with you. Is Jesus a religion to you? Is spirituality important to you or is Jesus being the Lord of your life the master everything don't miss that this month we're going to dive deep into scripture and we're going to see oh what (laughs) I just can't tell you I'm probably more excited about next week's sermon than any sermon I've ever preached in my entire life. But don't miss, oh, don't miss verse 3. You must be born again. It's like if a baseball player hit a deep ball into up against the, the fence and He rounded first and rounded second and rounded third and headed for home. He may may make it home without being thrown out. But what happens if that player missed first base? What if he didn't tag first base? You know what the umpire is going to call him? Out. And I'm concerned today that some of you You're rounding the second base of worship music. You're rounding the third base of Bible reading. And you come to church and you have an interest in spiritual matters. You have an interest in spiritual things. But friend, you've not tagged first base. 
You've never given Jesus all of you. You've never repented of your sins. And what a shame it would be to have an interest in spiritual things and be among God's people and desire to know more about God, but then one day get to heaven and they call you out because you never tagged first base. You skipped it. Don't skip verse 3. Make Jesus Lord. It's been well said. Either Jesus will be Lord of all or he will not be Lord at all. 